You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 27th of November 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Daniel Bage. On today's show, just as Theresa May turns the page on one chapter of the Brexit saga, U.S. President Donald Trump takes aim at the British PM, saying if a deal with the EU is adopted, it could block a free trade deal between Washington and London. My guests, Carol Walker and Joy Ledico, will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including... Emmanuel Macron says he hears those protesting a new diesel tax, but won't change course on energy policy. How will that affect his sinking popularity? And speaking of clashes, Mexico's new president and Donald Trump are ready to do battle over migrants. That's all to come here on Midori House with me, Daniel Bache. So welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Carol Walker and Joy Ledico. Welcome both to the program. Theresa May has cast Britain's move to leave the European Union as an opportunity to carve out new and better trade deals. But U.S. President Donald Trump is pouring cold water on that idea. In a wide-ranging statement on trade, Trump said the EU is getting the better deal and that Brexit could cost Britain a shot at a free, de- a free trade deal with the U.S. itself. Um, Carol, perhaps we'll start with you. With all this, with all that has happened, happening right now and as May tours the country trying to further sell her deal uh, she's got with the EU. How big a blow is uh, Trump's comment to her Brexit plan? Well, I think this is just another blow as she fights against opponents to her deal on all sides. She made yet another statement in the Commons this week and it was over an hour before a single member of Parliament actually spoke up in favour of her deal. Um, And this These comments from President Trump, I think, simply play into the hands of the Brexiteers, those that want a clean break from the European Union, um, because they fear that the deal that Theresa May uh, wants them to back her on will simply shackle the UK far too closely to the European Union for many, many years to come. Now, today, Downing Street have been dismissing President Trump's uh, comments and saying, well, of course, it's we can uh, pursue trade deals even during that transition period. But I think the simple fact is that if you look at it during the transition period, we're going to be following exactly the EU's rules Mm. and regulations and tariffs and standards. There is a very strong possibility that that transition period could be extended. And furthermore, the political declaration says that a future trading arrangement is going to be based on that. So if we're really closely tied into all those EU rules and regulations that we get the level playing field that the EU wants, doesn't bode too well for an American trade deal. Uh, Joy, do you think this is a usual Donald Trump bluster or is this uh, of serious concern? Well, Donald Trump has changed his mind on Brexit on a number of mm. occasions. At one point, he started calling himself Mr. Brexit because he was going to do a deal, whatever. But the reality is he can't do anything at the moment. And we can sit there and talk about trade deals, but we won't be able to sign anything off. The backstop may become a sort of endless, never-ending backstop. And so it may be that it takes a long time for us to do any business with them. The other thing about um, Donald Trump in the US is that you know, he is on an agenda to try and get... Uh, 
balance balance out trade and he feels that US is losing globally. Now, depending on whose figures you use, we actually have a surplus with the US at the moment. In fact, although we don't, Remainers don't like to put, make the big deal of it, we've got something like £40 billion in surplus with them. Um, some of that's through strange deals about North Sea Oil, where a US company can own mm. it and send it back. But they are actually a massive trading partner with us. And if Trump is looking at the figures, and strangely, the US actually calculated differently and say they've got a surplus with us, but they can see an opportunity with us. They can see a place to import their grain, their beef, their cars, and they can't get to us at the moment. Mm. And I wouldn't underestimate how uh, punchy Trump and Wilbur Ross will be about trying to get a new trade deal in their favour. Carol, do you think Donald Trump perhaps assumes Britain will remain close to the EU even after that transition period you mentioned earlier? Well, I think if you look at what we're hearing from Theresa May and if you look at both the withdrawal deal and that political declaration on the future trading relationship, he's absolutely right. And what we've seen since that deal was signed uh, is that many of the European Union countries are making it very clear that if the UK wants access to EU markets, then it's going to have to follow the EU rules and regulations. Uh, What the EU have been concerned about throughout all of this is that the UK doesn't end up in a better position uh, than they have. They don't want Brexit to provide an economic boost to the UK. Um, And if we're going to have this level playing field, we're not going to be allowed to put money into our industries as the Labour opposition would like to, to prop them up. The EU will complain, oh, that'll give the UK an unfair competitive advantage if we're going to have to stick by all their rules and their standards and their hygiene standards and the environmental standards and indeed for, for a foreseeable future, many of the customs and tariffs, um, then I'm afraid that Donald Trump is right, that it mm. is going to be very difficult indeed to strike that US deal. And at the moment, so much of the UK economy is tied in with the EU that, of course, there's a lot of pressure from UK businesses that want to keep the same sort of trading arrangements. But of course, Brexiteers would argue that it negates the whole point of leaving the yeah. EU. I'm curious about that. Joy, do you think Brexiteers trying to force May out will be buoyed a little bit by these comments from Trump? Um, Well, I think Brexiteers are in their own rather difficult position at the moment. They can't really say what they want. Uh, And if you take in mind that one of the Brexiteers in her cabinet, Liam Fox, had a rather bad trip to the US where he came back with uh, big stories about chlorinated chicken. Uh, There is also... Brexiteers campaigned on £350 million extra for the NHS. Mm. It is absolutely transparent that the US would like to have uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, uh, a better pharmaceutical deal with the UK so their companies can get better, a better deal. And also, we'll be pushing for healthcare. Now, we may resist that all we like, but if the economy goes badly and we need to cut a deal with the US for growth, mm. uh, one of the absolute uh, you know, temples of Britain may be invaded. Uh, Brexiteers won't get forgiven for that. Yeah, I would assume not. Uh, you know, Carol, we we talked about uh, a bit of a mess that we're in here, and 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 looking forward beyond sort of any transition deal is is this country ready to even look at new trade deals, new avenues, while still trying to sort all this out? Well, we've got an international trade secretary, Liam Fox, who Joy just mentioned, yeah. whose entire job since 2016 has supposedly been to pursue. 
trade deals um, outside the UK. Brexiteers keep uh, outside the EU, I should say. Brexiteers keep pointing to the fact that there are these huge growing markets in places like China and India. I think a huge amount depends on the sort of leadership that the UK has in those two years when the future trading relationship is being thrashed out. Because what has happened is that we have got this deal, which may or may not um, survive uh, when it comes to Parliament in two weeks' time. At the moment, it looks as though MPs are due to vote it down. Um, But many of the key decisions about the future trading relationship will not be decided until after the UK has left, after Brexit at the end of March next year. Now, so far, Theresa May has shown every sign of caving into just about every single one of the EU's demands at every stage of this negotiation. If she continues to do that, then I think it will be quite difficult for the UK to be in a position to carve these new deals. Um If, of course, during the uh, difficulties which are likely to erupt around this Commons vote in a couple of weeks' time, if we were to end up with different leadership, or indeed if after Brexit, the Brexiteers then do make their move, do force her out, Mm. and we do have completely different leadership and someone who's going to be prepared to turn around and say to the EU27, no, I'm sorry, we're not prepared to allow you to dominate in the way that you have done, then the possibilities are there. But... Up to this point, so far, the EU have held all the cards. I think that's why this withdrawal deal was signed in 38 minutes. And that's why, to go back to our original point, Donald Trump, I'm afraid, was right when he mm. said that this is a good deal for the EU. Well, can I can I also put a bit of perspective on global trade, which is the EU is by far our largest uh, global trading partner. So when we're talking about new deals, we need to actually have a very good deal with the EU to start with. Mm. The US is the next biggest. And so it really does matter what we do with Donald Trump and what deal we do come to. Thereafter, talk of China and India. I mean, it's uh, the, our trade with them is actually piddling. So China is something mm. like we sell them about £10 billion worth of goods. They sell us £40 billion. Australia is you know, uh, one of the most minimal trading partners we have. Actually, weirdly, it's places like Saudi Arabia and the UAE that we actually do rather better with, which we may not want to be highlighting at the moment. <laughs> um, so... We can talk and talk and talk about these foreign trade deals, but actually it's the EU trade deal that matters and it's our closest neighbours with whom we do the most trade. Trade halves as distance doubles. Except that, of course, the Brexiteers would argue that the whole point of leaving the EU is that we should be looking beyond that, looking at the developing economies of the future and the the economies that are developing. And, and of course, up until now, we haven't been in a position to do that because we're tied into the EU structure. You say that. We've been doing China and India trade missions for God knows how many years. And again, you know, our biggest export to India is something like Frank Cooper's marmalade, and that's pretty much all the business (laughs) we're doing. But if we gave them more... More visas, they'd probably give us a bit more trade. Well, they'd buy some more, but they'd buy some um, Hartley's jam instead. I mean, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, May is is going around the country trying to sell this, as we've we've said, sell her deal, and says she's ready to go on uh, on TV to debate it as well. Is that a good idea uh, for her in trying to sell this to politicians, Joy? Uh, not to politicians, yeah. to the public. But, mm. um, 
And I think Theresa May has... It's a really relatively clever of her to do it because the public has moved from a state of pity of Theresa May, which I think has won her some votes anyway, to a state of admiration that she's mm. got this far, despite all the, um, if I may use the word that John Major would use, bastards all around her. So she will do well in front of the public. But going up against Jeremy Corbyn, Corbyn also does very well yeah. in the public. So in a sense, they're trying to leapfrog the deadlock of Parliament to appeal to the people. Will she change the sentiment? I don't know at this point in time. Carol, does she have any opportunity to, to, to play the right hand in front of the public here ahead of a, a parliamentary vote? Well, she regularly does better than Jeremy Corbyn at Prime Minister's Question Time, which obviously is a very different forum, but she has got better at that. She's not particularly nimble on her feet and she's not particularly good at relating to members of the public, so it's definitely a risk. <clears throat> Downing Street clearly believe that based on what we've seen in PMQs, she can probably do better against Jeremy Corbyn. I think the difficulty with this um, is the problem we've got into in TV debates in previous election campaigns, which is about the format. Because, of course, all the Brexiteers are saying, hold on a second, we've not got anyone here arguing for uh, a, a hard Brexit. Um, both Jeremy Corbyn and uh, Theresa May were committed, uh, are committed uh, to, to leaving the EU now, mm. but they were both Remain supporters nominally. Uh, you've got the Liberal Democrats coming in saying, well, look, no one here is arguing for another referendum. I think the point is that Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May don't necessarily reflect the dividing line on Brexit. And I think there's going to have to be a huge amount of haggling between the parties and the broadcasters before that gets agreed. But, you know, these things are always great theatre. They do engage the public. And I think it would be fantastic if it happened. Hmm. Well, we, we shall see and, and hope that does happen. Uh, I'm sure we will be discussing much more here on Monocle 24. We turn our attention now to France, where sometimes violent protests have been seen across the country over the past few weeks. The so-called yellow vest demonstrations have seen thousands take to the streets across France over fuel prices. But Emmanuel Macron, the president, says he will not abandon a controversial diesel tax, as stated in a speech just today. Uh, Joy, he was elected on, on a bit of a green agenda, and uh, there's probably no surprise that he's he's now sticking to, to his his course, that plan. What do you think? Well, he was also um, elected on a low-tax agenda, mm. and uh, as well as imposing these fuel duties, and bear in mind fuel price is pretty low at the moment, uh, it's 60, around $66 a barrel, um, he's taxing a, a particular group of people will be affected by this. Um, and as I understood it, the group of protesters are essentially kind of small businesses, mm. people who feel that this will affect them. They're also the people who are the recipients of a huge number of tax cuts recently, which include corporation tax going down, uh, changes in employment rights and um, how they have to be negotiated. So it's, it, as a group of people protesting, you sit there thinking, well, if you do the books, mm. um, this should actually come out in your favour. Um, so why they're picking up the cobblestones, I'm not sure. It's not the students. The students are on mm, the side yeah. and the environmentalists. Does this seem uh, a serious concern right now for Macron, do you think, Carol? I think it is a big problem for him. Um, he has said today that he is going to stand firm, that he's not going to row back from his environmental agenda, but he is prepared 
to listen to the concerns of the gilets jaunes, as they've called themselves. I think it's interesting what's happened here is that this is something that began as a protest against these rising fuel taxes, rising fuel prices. But they have escalated. I mean, we've had two people killed and some 600 injured in these riots. They have spread. And what it seems to be is that many of these, as Joy said, small businesses, but also Mm. people who are living in the rural areas, in the small towns, who feel that there you have this metropolitan elite pursuing their environmental agenda who simply don't understand the concerns of people living outside those metropolitan areas. These are people who've become dependent uh, on their their cars and their their lorries and their tractors and they feel that they are being unfairly penalised. And it certainly does seem to be hitting Macron's uh, popularity rating. So I think as with so many uh, of his predecessors, Macron comes in with this bold reform agenda. Uh, he's coming up against some of those vested interests who are prepared to fight pretty hard uh, against what he's trying to achieve. Uh, Joy, Macron seems to be trying to, to use this a little bit to, to balance perspectives, I guess, to say, you know, um, you know, on one side, we've got alarm about fuel prices, but the, the real problem is the environment. Mm. And, and that plays well to his base, would it not? Does, does he have an opportunity, do you think, here to, to sort of win back some of his popularity? Uh, well, um, this is... This is... The, the split that Carol talks about is interesting because mm. it's a split that's almost happening in every country, which yeah. is urban versus rural, and the numbers to urban keep growing, but the rural get forgotten. So CO2 has uh, risen uh, for the first time, and Hidalgo in Paris is talking about pedestrianising, I think, two square kilometres of it and throwing cars off the road. Um, he had... Uh, Macron hired... Um, I'm sorry, I forgot his first name now, Hulo, who was this very well-known, mm. Nicholas Hulo, uh, very well-known environmentalist to actually be um, his environment minister, who's actually, he's now resigned. So he, and, and he was a big TV star. So he placed at the heart of his agenda a proper uh, environmentalist. He's talking about cutting coal, talking about cutting nuclear. It works brilliantly for the international stage. Mm. Um, it works brilliantly for the people who don't, rely on cars and increasingly across westernized nations a sign that you are in the essentially top income brackets top social brackets is that you don't own a car rather than you do um but the groundswell of opinion uh, about this is also an indication of why uh, somebody like marine le pen did mm. so well in those elections it's the kind of great ignored for whom macron does not speak to their needs at all and indeed you've now got uh, 12 of 13 regional leaders have called on Macron to think again because they are concerned about the effect it's having in their particular regions and amongst, yes, those uh, working citizens who are having to travel to get to work, who are uh, who are reliant on their own transport mm. and who f- are more concerned about their businesses, their jobs, than this wider environmental agenda, which um, President Macron is still so keen to pursue. And rather like David Cameron, you have the problem of somebody who is essentially a posh boy, a uh, Rothschild banker, always smart suited. Um, how much? Did he, how much did he spend on his portrait? How much did he spend on his cutlery and crockery? These are the concerns of the rich rather than the poor. Uh, a very interesting analysis. You are listening to Midori House here with me, Daniel Bates, Carol Walker, and Joy Ladico. Coming up next is Mexico's soon-to-be president ready to take on Donald Trump. 
For a global perspective and some fresh ideas direct to your door on business, culture and design, not to mention fashion, travel and much more, subscribe today and join the world of Monocle. As a valued subscriber, you'll get a 10% discount in all Monocle shops and our online store. You'll also be the first to receive exclusive invitations to our events and have full access to the magazine archives. In addition, all one-year subscriptions come with a free limited edition Monocle tote bag. With four bespoke subscription packages to choose from, you decide what suits you and your lifestyle best. What are you waiting for? Visit monocle.com and subscribe today. Welcome back to Midori House. Still with me, Carol Walker and Joy Ladico. Mexico's new leader, Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador, will be inaugurated as president this coming Saturday, December the 1st. And many observers are expecting a difficult relationship between AMLO and President Trump. And their first clash is already heating up over the thousands of migrants from Central America now along the border between Mexico and the United States, with thousands more on the way. Mr. Trump keen to keep migrants on Mexican soil while they apply for asylum in the United States. Um, Joy, Donald Trump has used the caravan to his advantage politically a lot in in recent weeks, sending troops to the border, a bit of a show there, uh, selling to his base on the fact uh, he's the one to keep migrants out. How has he taken aim at Mexico as uh, president-in-waiting and why? Well, he has and he hasn't. I mean, he has been talking up mm. um, uh, uh, the the new president who goes by the uh, Obrador, which is, but he, his name gets shortened to AMLO, mm. um, and calling him Juan Trump. Uh, and um, AMLO is sort of far uh, is is a leftist. He's a firebrand. He knows how to speak to the people. And Trump actually, at some level, thinks he can do business with him. Mm. Um, but. What he's trying to do is, when you know, Trump's great slogan words, let's build a wall. What he's actually trying to ask Mexico to do is build a wall to the south rather than on that border. It's mm. 2,000 kilometres at the moment. Um, the influx of uh, migrants are, as you say, from Central America. In fact, the number of undocumented migrants coming through from Mexico over the border now is something like under half of mm. those who are crossing. So he's saying, look, I can, um, you know, we, we, we've cut a new trade deal. At some point, you have to take responsibility for these migrants turning up on the doorstep. What are you going to do about it? And uh, it's quite a big question for AMLO because does he, at this point, stand up to Trump and say, look, it is our right to allow them to pass to your border for you to deal with them? but by doing that, does he disrupt uh, all future trade deals and economic relations? Well, exactly. Obrador uh, has built a career on defending the poor. Uh, so does he support the wishes of migrants to cross into the U.S.? Or will he be forced to bend to the demands of the White House? What do you think, Carol? He certainly seems to be facing a dilemma. And at the moment, I think it's not quite clear which way he's going to jump. Yes, he came to power uh, promising to help the poor. He was very critical of President Trump's attitude towards the migrants, but he's also keen to try to maintain good relations with the United States. Mexico needs good relations with the United States if um, if he's going to transform the Mexican economy, if he's going to have the funds to actually help the mm. poor in his country. He cannot afford to alienate uh, his much more powerful economically and in every other way neighbour. So I think there is a dilemma here. Uh, he has said that he wants a much more humanitarian and respectful attitude towards these migrants. 
But Mexico has been sending these Central Americans back. There have been thousands that have been sent back mm. to places like um, Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador over the last few months. The difficulty that you have now is that President Trump is uh, threatening to close the border altogether. We know that communities on either side of that border in both the United States and Mexico uh, rely on cross-border trade. Trump's also insisting that those Central American migrants that have arrived in that huge convoy, the caravan, as Donald Trump likes to talk about it, uh, they're all being told that they're going to have to apply for asylum from the Mexican side, which, of course, is putting huge Mm. pressure on those Mexican border communities. Um, It is a very difficult dilemma. And and as the tension rises and thousands of people are held up there, um, it's already been turning quite nasty with the uh, tear gas being used, people trying to rush the border. Um, and there is a lot of potential for a really big humanitarian problem there. And we saw something similar with the Syrian uh, outflows uh, where... W- the European Union asked Turkey to be essentially the holding right. centre for them because the minute they stepped into European soil, uh, the, 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 their objectives would be met and therefore you would then encourage more and more people. So Turkey ended up being the processing centre. Mm. The US is asking Mexico to be the processing centre and uh, they've got Mexico in this bind at the moment, rather like Turkey with the European mm. Union, which is it is dependent on this larger bloc uh, for good relations. Um, what's interesting is the Mexicans themselves are beginning to get uppity about these uh, entrants, you know, potentially settling in Mexico, disrupting their economy. And, you know, Mexico has developed into a, you know, a, it is now a massive economy. It's mm. a sort of sister economy to the US. So this idea that everybody in Mexico is kind of poor and just will accept some more poor into yeah. the community is a lie. It's highly developed. Uh, Mexican officials are warning of a humanitarian emergency at the border. You sort of alluded to, Carol, there. Uh, Do you think this is a crisis too big for a a brand new president to take on? Well, he's going to have to take some very difficult decisions. And already he's finding that the regional governors who have got around seven and a half thousand Central American migrants there without sufficient food, shelter or supplies are saying that they're not getting enough help from central government The president is up against that very uh, strong line from President Trump, who's very clear that he doesn't want these migrants invading, as he puts it, the United States. And he's going to have to take some difficult decisions. Uh, Does he turn on these people who themselves are desperate people, many of them with small children? There are some elderly people there. Um, Does he try to deport more of them back to Central America? Many of them have fled from violence in their home cities and towns in places like Honduras. Mm. Um, and and it, fa- it is a huge dilemma. He, he also similarly, as Joy was pointing out, faces some hostility from Mexicans who say, well, look, we've got enough of our own problems. We don't necessarily want these vast numbers uh, camped out here. So it's going to be a real test of his leadership and he's going to have to make some decisions pretty soon. This is also um, a hangover from um, the Obama uh, administration, yeah. and this is not going to be a popular point for kind of liberal <laughs> listeners, but um, under Obama, various judges, various cases uh, were brought on asylum that broadly, that, that rapidly expanded the definition of what you could claim asylum for. So it was things like um, being <coughs> gay, homosexuality, um, but it was also things uh, like terrorist groups or living in fear of violence, and that's gang violence, yeah. or living in fear of domestic violence. So 
What happened under Obama is that there was something like a 17,000-fold increase in the number of asylum seekers coming in from Central America, uh, vast flows across the border. And so Donald Trump has, doesn't necessarily have control over every single law as to what uh, qualifies as asylum or does not. Mm. But under the Obama administration, it became what was a, a small problem, you know, an inflow from Central America became the problem it is today. Mm. A similar problem that Canada saw uh, when they uh, saw an influx of migrants uh, from Haiti, in fact, after comments from, from Justin Trudeau there. I just want to go back to uh, to the relationship between Washington and Mexico uh, City. Just lastly, Carol here, uh, <laughs> Joy touched on the sort of uh, alternate uh, political, uh, you know, the left versus right in the political spectrum of Trump and, and Obrador. How do you see that relationship uh, going forward in an economic uh, standpoint? Well, I think um, what's interesting is that I think Lopez Obrador was one of the many who were critical of his predecessor who uh, welcomed President Trump to come and visit Mexico after um, Trump had talked about building the wall. Um, And Donald Trump then went back and uh, ramped up the rhetoric against Mexico. So I think that what... uh, uh, Lopez Obrador will will want to avoid as being seen to be too obsequious towards the United States, whilst knowing at the same time that unless the United States will take some of these migrants across the border, this is going to be a huge problem that's Mm. going to build up there. Um, There's no sign of the flow from Central America stopping. Of course, uh, the Mexicans are also reinforcing their southern border to try to reduce the flow of migrants into the country. Um, But I think it's going to be a very, very delicate relationship indeed. And of course, what we the one thing we do know from the Trump administration is that he's not going to go around kowtowing to any other world leader. Trump likes to pursue his own agenda. He came to power vowing to build that wall. And it's going to be very difficult for him to to climb down from that very tough rhetoric, especially when there are these huge numbers that are built up on the other side of the border. As you say, in the recent elections, he ramped up the rhetoric against um, the, the invasion, as he put it. And I think he will want to play hardball. It will be up to the new Mexican president to try to tread this very delicate line between keeping relations with uh, the Americans on board, uh, keep maintaining his own reputation for a more humanitarian approach to this crisis, um, whilst dealing with his own economic problems at home. That brings us to the end of today's show. Carol Walker and Joy Ladico, thank you so much for joining us here at Midori House. Today's show was produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, researched by Nick Muniz, and our studio manager was David Stevens. More music next, and then at 1900 hours, it's Monocle on Design. And we'll have more on the day's top stories on the Monocle Daily at 2200 London time, 1700 in New York City. Midori House back at the same time tomorrow. That's 1800 London time. I'm Daniel Bache. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.